Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Richie Clapson and I'm here with Ian Child. Hello everyone. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about how property people can make the most of interior design, aren't we, Ian? Absolutely right. I'm going to be talking to one of our favourite interior designers, uh, Joe Bolston, from Design Experts Venture and Flourish. And, uh, yeah, we're also going to be learning about how the art of interior design can be used to... uh, to some amazing effect by just about anyone who's involved in properties. So, uh, so Joe's going to give us some uh, some really great stuff, I'm sure. But before we uh, we do that, let me just check that you've been having a, a good week this week. I've had an amazing week. I've been out and about as usual, doing this and that. Mainly that, if I'm honest. To be fair, <laughs> excellent. In fact, I know this because we've not seen you, not seen much of you this week. Uh, although I have to say, when I popped in your office the other day, couldn't help noticing. Uh, that you know, in your role as catering director, one of the places you you've been to recently is yeah. the uh, is the local cash and carry, oh, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. I, I needed to get some essential provisions. I did go to the cash and carry. So I, I say popped into your office, but actually took two of us to push open uh, your office door, mainly due to the fact that there appeared to have been what I can only describe as an avalanche of Maltesers. Oh. Uh, that had taken place in your office since uh, since I last visited it, uh, and this was actually pushing up against the door and stopping anybody uh, getting in. You so exaggerate. Look, I need to talk to you about that. You see, there was a bit of a mix-up at the cash and carry. Ah, That's the problem. Was it now? Bit of mix-up, and this uh, this mix-up would explain why your office currently looks like an explosion in a sweet shop. Uh, yes. Well, I can explain everything. You know that we put those, you know, the fun size bags of sweets on the tables when we do presentations. Uh, yep. Well. Uh, we'd run out okay so as catering director i thought right the cheapest way of doing this was to buy some down at the cash and carry so i went down there myself and uh, you know sure enough they had all those large wholesale boxes yeah brilliant they were stacked up m&ms maltesers buttons you name it they had it and all the boxes said treat size treat size yeah so i thought that treat size bags would be the name of those little the little fun size things that each contain about I don't know six Maltese or something like that you know. So you didn't think that they might be called fun size bags, for example, and, and not treat size. Well, no, I, I didn't. Anyway, it turns out that a treat size bag is one of those big bags like you buy at the cinema. Yeah, don't say. So, <laughs> so we can't basically use them. Uh, at our do at events on the tables then? Not really, no. They don't fit in the jars. Okay. And and how many of these uh, these treat size bags did you uh, did you buy? Well, I did think they were fun size, but they were treat size. Well, okay. I added up the number of events that we've got coming up, and I multiplied it by the number of tables, and then by the number of people sitting at those tables. Funny. And then you had a bit of a lie down, presumably. So, uh, what uh, what number did you eventually come up with? Eight hundred. You are joking. <laughs> you bought you bought eight hundred bags of Maltesers. Uh, well, I, I may have allowed for a few extra bags for the presenters. <laughs> that that be you us and, then. You and I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, and now because we can't use these bags for the the tables on at the events, you and I now have to consume four hundred bags of Maltesers each um, at these events. Is that what you're saying? Technically, yes. It's not just Maltesers. There's well, a mixture. Okay, so that's going to be quite interesting, isn't it? So I, I, let me just make a note. Um, 
make sure I skip breakfast at these event days. <laughs> you, you, you know what? You're blaming uh, this on a mix-up with the whole treat bag name thing, but I think that you've actually got a medical condition when it comes to sweet things. Really? Yeah, I, I think that you just can't help yourself. I see. And uh, what's your evidence for this, Mr. Child? Well, you remember when we met up the other week in that coffee shop and I was telling you that I was struggling with our weight loss challenge thing that we were doing because uh, I was always feeling hungry. You haven't lost any weight either. I do remember that, yes. And do you remember how uh, you suddenly got up whilst I was talking and, and left the table? Mm. And I thought you'd kind of had a sudden call of nature or whatever and had to nip off to the loo. But you returned two minutes later carrying this gargantuan sausage roll and a massive slab of cake. Did I? Which you then proceeded to scoff down right in front of me. Ah. ah, And I remember thinking, wow, that was sensitive. (laughs) We're both on this this diet challenge. And then when I tell you how hungry I am, you not only bugger off without a word, you then come back and wolf down a massive sausage and a cake right in front of my face. Uh, Sorry, I'm not not sure what happened. Maybe it's just a subliminal thing. I'll tell you, I think it's a medical thing. I think um, there's there's probably a, a trigger word that makes you just kind of stop what you're doing. You have to suddenly go and, and eat rubbish. I must have mentioned that trigger word in the cafe and it just kind of made you instantly develop this You're craving. You're kidding me. Not at all. No, no. I reckon if I said the trigger word now, you'd leave the studio this very instant, sprint up the road to Costa's for a bacon bap and a, and a cheeky Danish or something. Really? So what? come on in. What do you think the trigger I've, word is? I've absolutely no idea. But I suspect probably won't be too long until till, uh, till we find out. I'm just hoping it doesn't happen whilst we're presenting on stage. <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced, to be honest. You're, you're really only come up with one example. So, you know, it's probably just a one-off situation. I don't no, think no, it's, no. A, it's a what about What about when you go running? What about it? Well, remember... At least I go running. Okay, but remember when I was early coming to pick you up for an event the other week uh, and I... I, I passed you in the car as you were finishing your run. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a while ago now, to be fair. It was. But you remember me asking you what was in the bag that you were carrying? Um, vaguely. And it turned out that it was a Chelsea bun. <laughs> Do you remember that? And, and so I asked you what I thought was a pretty obvious question, which was why on earth do you carry a Chelsea bun with you when you go for a run? And then I thought, perhaps it's rhyming slang. Perhaps what you do is you tell the good Mrs. Clapson, I'm just going for a Chelsea bun, dear, <laughs> around the block, and then and then you carry one around with you as a kind of reminder oh, or something. That'd be, that would be silly. It would. Uh, but then, of course, the whole sorry truth just kind of spilled out, didn't it? Basically, uh, I mean, it's quite sordid. There's a bakery on your running route, and you physically can't run past it without going in and buying a bun. Look, what can I say? I just happen to be passing, and you know they know me in there. Well, no, they know you in there. <laughs> You're one of their best customers. You told me that they always have a bun ready for you by the counter, so you don't even have to stop running. <laughs> they're, they're, they're good. They're good like that because I just go in and I, I settle up at the end of the week. So, have you ever thought to change your running route so that you don't go past the bakery or, or a sweet shop or uh, a cafe? Ah, uh, well, yeah, I worked out that there was the same number of calories in a Chelsea bun as I lost by going on my run. So, you know, they cancelled out. 
Okay, so do you do you remember when you told me how frustrating it was <laughs> that you do all this running <laughs> and yet you never seem to lose any race? <laughs> I think I may have stumbled on the uh, on the reason. Well, now you mention it, yeah. I mean, I hadn't really put two and two together, to be fair. So you see, I think there's just a, a deep-rooted medical condition. You just you, you just need to go out and get some professional um, help. No, I'm still not convinced. And as catering director, oh, uh, do you have any plans for our newly acquired 800 bags of Maltesers? Ah, well, the good news is that we're already down to 750 bags. Really? What, you found a way of, uh, of using them at our events? No, not exactly, no. Okay, uh, so what's uh, what's happened to them? Well, it's a funny thing. I- I've been a bit worried about those chocolate ceiling tiles that I've been <laughs> eating recently, you know, um, uh, the rice cakes. I think they they may contain asbestos after all. Well, I know you've been telling me that. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll uh, I'll try and wean myself off of them. Right, I think I can tell where, uh, where this is going. Yeah, no, so what I did is I stopped eating them. Okay. Simple. But then I kept getting these cravings, you know, the massive withdrawal symptoms. I felt I felt really bad. So I thought, yeah, I was shaking. I thought, well, I'll try some more teasers instead. Seeing as we had, you know, we had so many of them. Uh, and, and gradually I've managed to, uh, well, I've completely weaned myself off the ceiling tiles, which is terrific. And, and now you've developed a nasty Malteser habit instead. <laughs> terrific. <laughs> dare, I, uh, dare I ask how many packs of Maltesers you're kind of currently getting through oh, a day not a problem well uh, yeah, i'm down i'm down to five bags at the moment <laughs> but on a positive note i reckon my office will be more teaser free by easter so plus plus <sighs> you don't need to buy an easter egg which is another big saving right well i i guess that's that's a glass half full way of looking at it we we blow 400 quid on maltesers in order to save two pound 37 on an easter egg well yeah i mean but you know were you only going to spend two pound 37 on my easter egg this year no, I was going to spend a much rounder number than that. Uh, <laughs> oh, thanks. Anyway, have you any idea how many Maltesers there are in 800 bags? No, I have no idea. I tend to, to get out a little bit more than that. What do you reckon? About 40 Maltesers to a bag? So what would that be? Um, th- uh, 32,000 Maltesers. No way. You know, I think you should possibly apply to the Guinness uh, Book of Records people again. That that has got to be some sort of record there. I don't think they're talking to me after the Rubik's Cube incident back in season one. Actually, I'm not surprised, to be honest. I'm not surprised. Anyway, uh, what do you say we crack on with the podcast? Uh, Joe's here, so I can't wait to hear how your interview with uh, with Joe Bolson is going to turn out. Fantastic. So we're here today and absolutely delighted to welcome to the studio Joe Bolston, who is the founder of Venture and Flourish. She's interior designer, she's an entrepreneur, she's a property developer. You're lots of things, Joe, aren't you? Welcome to the Property CEO podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. It was a big build-up for it, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't normally give like that to you. I like a big build-up. You yeah, can do good, that more. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Well, it's, it's absolutely great to have you here because I know um, today we're going to be talking about something that I think a lot of people get wrong, um, and that is... Um, you're going to be giving people a bit of a steer on how they can use interior design to to really help them uh, either sell their properties or to indeed rent their properties out. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Fantastic. So um, I guess the starting point, I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand exactly what an interior designer does. So uh, could you just give us a bit of a a flavour of I've got the, a clue. Uh, I've got a clue. Richard's Rich not got a clue. Which, uh, <laughs> I've but, been in this oh. industry 35 years. I don't know what an interior designer does. <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe the, the, the job of a, an interior designer? What do they do? What do they add to a project? It's quite an integral role, actually, because 
the interior designer obviously is concerned with everything in the internal environment and the outcome of that and whether it's aesthetically right and whether it fulfills the brief of the client um, and they also have a really good understanding of where the architect's trying to go where the uh, structural engineer's trying to go where the M&E people are trying to go as well so if you get them on board really early in the project they can really help to kind of guide those disciplines because what they're going to do is control the outcome of those disciplines internally okay. um, so that it all works for everybody and for the client and so you'd be bringing your interior designer on uh, r- right at the start as an integral part of your, your team right from Ideally, uh, from you bring the them in as early as you can when you start to appoint your architect and your team. And it's been a big frustration throughout my career. We've always pushed, always pushing to get in early because one of the other things that an interior designer is interested in is the flow of the building. So whether the internal walls are in the right places or whether the, you know, the doors are in the right places and then... If they're looking at detail of how furniture's laid out, they'll be looking at you know whether the the powerpoints are in the right place. So there's some real things, basic things that you need to get involved in quite early on. That you're because you be right your builder will want to know them early on. So get the designer in early to help you with that. And I guess a lot of people think that in, an interior designer, perhaps you know on a smaller project, that would be a luxury. But actually, an interior designer is going to be an integral or should be an integral part of your team on projects large and small. I think so. And it doesn't have to be that you have a designer on board all the time. They could just come in and advise you just on key points of the journey, if that's what you need. Um, it might be that you're a bit weak on colour, selecting colours, colour palettes, and they could come and advise you. In fact, I've done that with architects as well, where because architects will also freely admit that they're always not always 100% confident with mm. the interior stuff. So sometimes I've gone in and just sat with an architect with the palette and just said, no, oh, I think you could improve that or I think you could improve that or just tweak that. Just are you, uh, specific are you mentioning colour because you know I'm colourblind? <laughs> it's just to take the mick. Well, you've, you've, you've never mentioned this before, Richard, have you? I wanted to be an interior designer, but I couldn't because I can't do everything white. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I mean, I've no idea. When when she's done all the clever stuff, Joe's done all this clever interior design, and I see the end result, it doesn't mean anything to me. So when somebody shows you a colour palette, what do you, what goes through your mind? Well, I don't see the difference. Right. But depending on what the colours are, a lot of them just look the same. Really? 50 Shades of Grey palette work for 50 you? 50 Shades of Grey, yeah. yeah. But there's a whole other podcast there, isn't uh. there? <laughs> 50 Shades. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. You're going to be giving us a bit of a steer on some things that uh, that you often see people do wrong when it comes to interior design. Um, so where, where should we start there? What, what would you say is perhaps the first thing that people get wrong when it comes to interior design? Well, the first thing is firstly not understanding what an interior designer does, which I've just kind of gone through, but also then not engaging in interior design in the project. Even if you're not going to get someone in to help you, have a think about it. Try and approach that yourself as you know in your project um, and get it in get it in early in the process as well because you're trying to make the building user centric so that's the whole process of being a designer is to think about how a person's going to use the building that's all it is really so it's you would easy. then you would then when you when you meet with your client you would then find out who their customer is effectively and how they're going to use the space, how they're going to yeah. use the building. I'd construct a quite a detailed brief. I want to know, yeah, exactly, who the person is that you're intending to live in that property. Um, and I'd want to know a bit more about them probably, you know, their, more about their demographic. How old are they going to be? What do they do? What do they like to do? Where do they hang out? All those kind of questions would help me to formulate how somebody might like to live, which is 
how you know which informs the brief and that ultimately makes the, the units uh, worth more and easier to sell so yes. uh, and then i guess another problem I, I think that a lot of people would have they don't they'd understand that they can't do the architect stuff themselves because they're not an architect but of course a lot of people i think think that themselves that they have an element of flair when it comes to interior design they've got a style they've got a, a certain appreciation of what looks good and what look, what doesn't mm. but actually um in my experience, most people are, are way off the mark when it comes to you know, the fact that they like something a certain way is not actually how other people would perceive it. Yeah, I think that's quite an important distinction. And there are interior designers who have a set style and that's who, what they're employed for. There are some really famous ones that are employed just for their style and that's right. fine, that's how they do their business. But for me, it's not like that. I, I, I'm driven by that individual need of that client. So um, it means that I don't have a personal style. I'm not inflicting my personal style on anybody else. I'm trying to get something in there that would work for them. When you engage with a client, do you find that you're quite often, they, they've got some firm ideas? It does depend. Some people have quite fixed ideas, but my advice would be that if you're thinking of employing a designer, that you you go at it with an open mind because the whole point is that they might bring something to the table that you haven't thought of before, even if it's just in the way that the rooms are laid out or you know a slightly different take on the colour the color palette go with an open mind because otherwise you know you may as well just be doing it yourself mightn't you do you find that you get you give solutions to people a choice of solutions and people have to pick or do you tend to make recommendations as you go yeah if I was doing a scheme for somebody what I would do is I would extract the brief from them I would go away and I'd work on it I'd work on the plan so we're looking at 2d plans I might look at some samples some colorways um, I might even look at some 3d views it depends on the design and how they work and I would come back with some controlled options for you so these are these might be there might be i don't know one to three kind of variations on a theme that i think all fit your brief one might be a bit safer one might be a bit more out there to kind of push your thinking about what you're trying to do um but also because i don't want to come to somebody and think that they think that i've you know it's all predetermined and done i want you to think that you've got a little bit of a say in what's happening as well so because it's a collaborative process and presumably budget uh, is that something that you, you kind of clarify right at the start with the client? You do need to clarify budget up front, definitely. But I think it's important to note that, you know, interior design is not necessarily a big expensive thing. It doesn't have to be. Obviously, you've got to pay somebody's fees. Um, but sometimes it's just about thinking outside of the box about the way that you might put something together or the way that you might select a finish or apply a finish. So if you're doing work like that, it doesn't necessarily mean the outcome is expensive. It might just be that you're just kind of tweaking it slightly. Mm. So it's not necessarily I think that was one of the things thing. that was a bit of a, a revelation for me. You're able to effectively mentor people. Yeah, so I would offer kind of almost like a mentoring service. So if you just, say for example, you'd received your kitchen layout back from... Howdens or whoever's going to be making your kitchen for you and they'd sent you a list of spec and a plan and you're kind of looking at it thinking well I don't know is it is it right is it mm. have, I, have I overacted it I don't know if I've got too many units in it can be just that reassuring voice saying no I think the layout's okay you've got a bin clash there what about some lighting under there would that help make the space feel a bit more welcoming just to help bin you. clashes bin that sounds clashes. quite exciting they are frustrating. <laughs> you need to get out more if you think bin clashes are exciting. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, actually, in terms of the... You obviously do projects big and small, but in mm. terms of when you're doing interior design on a, on a building, uh, 
what's the most important space that you think that is going to have the biggest impact for for either people looking to rent it or people looking to buy it? It's it's the kitchen. It's a real hub of the building. It's so, been proven right. that it is as well, actually. Okay. And it's the room that people are more likely, if they own the house, they're more likely to invest heavily in that space to make it right for them. Okay. And is there a, a sort of a, a, a rule of thumb that goes that you need a... a you should make your kitchens bigger because people, and obviously the fashion more recently has been to have kind of more open plan type kitchens where there's kind of living space and it's not just a kitchen. Is there a kind of rule of thumb there or do you do it project by project? Well, it sort of depends on the space you've got really. But I think you need to think about the functions that are likely to happen in the kitchen because it's not anymore the fact that there's going to be some one person in there cooking away on their own necessarily and even if it's a co-living place where there's Mm. lots of different people living in there that are not related it can still become a real hub so you might decide that a dining table works in there and you have people around and it's a place to have drinks and if it's a family then you know the kids can come and do their homework there and it does become a real a real hub of the house so the more space you can give it the better obviously that just depends on what what you've got to work with. So I know a lot of the work that you do, Joe, is with HMOs. So um, is there is there quite a difference in the way in which you approach an HMO, for example, compared to if you were designing a, uh, a building that's going to be used by a family? Well, I think that usually when because you, when you're doing an HMO, you need to look at local authority guidance, and they will tell you the kind of spaces they expect you to have in that property, and they often will expect you to have some kind of communal space. So. But often you're converting as many of the rooms as you can into bedrooms because you want to get as many people in there living. So the kitchen, therefore, does become your community room, doesn't it? So you need to make the most of that space, give them a table, give them a comfortable place to sit, to come and be in a community okay. area. And often we'll put a TV in there as well, just things like that. Um, and in a family home, that might be slightly different because you're likely to have a living living area as well. But then you might think that the living area becomes a peaceful, quiet zone and the kitchen becomes the hustling, bustling, kind of busy zone. So right. you would probably treat those differently. Okay. And then in terms of colour, what's your approach there in terms of the use of colour? What would your advice to people be? Okay. So this is the way that I would treat any kind of project normally, um, is that I would try to treat the majority of the building with quite a neutral palette. It has its advantages because if you're maintaining a building, so if, you, if it's an HMO or rental property, it gives you a limited number of materials and colours that you have to go back in and touch up with. So it's helpful to you. Um, but also it makes the whole building feel cohesive as you move around it, if it's all kind of of a very similar palette. And then I would pick out a kind of range of colours. It might be five, it might be six, kind of more vibrant ones that I would use throughout the whole building as little pops of colour. Okay, so it's kind of little little, but often. Little but often repetition through the building because it keeps it cohesive. Yeah. Um, And you can look at it in kind of percentages. Uh, So you might say that you use 10% of those bold pops of colour and 90% of a neutral palette. When I say a neutral palette, it doesn't have to be white it's okay. white if you're Richie, but because he likes white. But no, it doesn't it just, have it to be white. It just all looks white. <laughs> I also like white because, from a development point of view, it's cost effective. So I always think commercially yes. because uh, the, you know, if you've got painter and decorators in, they can paint the ceilings white and they can paint the walls white. They haven't got to cut it in and they haven't got to change brushes. Mm. Indeed. So white's cost effective. And also, when you're colour blind, it looks great. That's absolutely true. No, you're completely right. It is. It is cost effective, mm. uh, but it doesn't have to be white. It could be a more, you know, another kind of neutral palette. It could be even quite a dark neutral palette. Well, a dark white. I think it's oh, called grey. Oh, okay. I might even say the word taupe here, but you're probably gonna. Oh, taupe. taupe. For that. Oh, blimey, yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't get excited. Not taupe. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, what else, Joe, would you say in terms of the things that, um, that people, you know, developers and landlords get wrong when it comes to interior design? Are there any other areas that you think they could do better? Okay, so I've seen quite a lot of properties going to the market um, that are not staged. Ah, staging. So staging is a kind of fairly, fairly relatively new thing to the UK. It's a thing in America, and I and I think it's kind of gradually coming in here. Um, but most people are going to be shopping online initially for property, whether they're renting or buying. They're going to be using something like Right Move or Spare Room, and they're flicking through hundreds of pictures, and they literally will spend two seconds on each one. And if one draws their attention, they might spend 20 seconds on it. And it's in that time frame that you've got to get them to click in and think about making an appointment to come and view. So whatever you can do to make those photographs really stand out from your competition is going to help you. And staging also, one of the things I've, I've heard, particularly from the US, is that it can actually make, it's not, it's not just about getting people in through the door or getting them clicking it can actually make a difference to the ultimate price that you get for the units, whether it's renting or or selling. Yeah, so um, ultimately what it means is that you should be able to command the price that you want. So the better you make it, the less likely people are to sort of quibble what you're offering, what you want, you know, for the money. Um, And it's suggested that you might even be able to achieve kind of 8% higher than the asking price if you do a really good job of it. I'm interested now. <laughs> Thought you might be. So look at that. He's taupe, got, taupe's in. Yeah, he's, let's he's, have some taupe. He's and on get the 8%. Dulux website. <laughs> and I guess along with colour, lighting must be quite important from an interior design perspective. From, from yeah, your perspective, yeah, lighting's hugely important because if you, if nothing else, you want people are going to want a bright, light, spacious, feeling place. They don't want to feel like they're in a pokey hole. Uh, so the most you can do for that, the better. So if that involves, you know. If you can, if you just make the most of the windows, the external elevations, the natural light that can come in, try not to block it off. Um, and if you need to put artificial light sources in that help if it's dark, if it feels dark. Are there things that, um, that, that people can do better? OK, so the first thing that I suggest people do is to really have a think about their brand experience. So when you start the business, um, you will have had a little think about brand. And quite often people ask me and I've done lots of commercial properties as well where people do have a brand identity and they want it translated into their interior okay um, and it can be as simple as just you know I've got an orange logo so I'm going to put some orange mugs in the kitchen but for me it's much more integral than that and it can be much more subtle right um, so it's more I think people need to think a bit more about that brand experience up front and so that's about the values that you want to portray so if you're about quality, that's important because you can translate that into the fixtures and fittings that you're going to provide. Um, it, and also part of that is about the ideal customer that you're going for. So really understand them and take a lot of time to really understand them because once you understand them, you know that the product that you're giving them is what they want. Okay, so the brand experience really important. Anything else that you think people could do to uh, enhance things from an interior design perspective? Okay, so... Presuming you've gone through the process and you've got your, you're happy you've created an interior product that you think fits the bill for your ideal client, don't miss that final part, which is about the staging of the property. Um, and so I think that's about putting a bit of colour in. It might even be about putting a bit of greenery in um, and some furniture because what you're trying to get people to do is to understand the space that they've got in front of them because a lot of people can't even read a plan. So expecting them to understand the plan they're given by the agent and then translate it into you know a photograph is quite difficult so um 
try to get them try to to do a little bit of staging if you can um and i think that there are some ways you can do that which is worth just touching on so if you don't want to buy furniture in, buying furniture in will help people because they'll walk into the space and be able to register it. If you don't want to do that, you could do it with uh, photo renders. Mm-hmm. And they're so realistic. Sometimes I've seen them, I can't even tell which is the photograph and which oh, really? is the render. Yeah. So for your uh, your brochure, your photographs online, that might be the way to go forward. Um, it might be that you look at hiring furniture for this purpose. Um, and if you had a staging company come in to help you, you could hi- they would organise all of that for you. Um, and the final thing that you could do is you could just buy some furniture to go in there and you could offer it as part of the package. So okay. it's worth thinking about styling the best flat that you've got, if it's flat, say, mm-hmm. and possibly the worst one. Right. Because that one's going to be the most challenging one to sell. So yeah. make it look awesome. And I guess you make a decision as to whether you would furnish the show flat based quite often on its size as well, because certainly if you're doing smaller units, it can help to leave them with a bit of space rather than fill the space with furniture, can't it? Exactly. But you could do, you could be sort of, it's a little bit of a trick, but say you had a, a room, you, it was going to have, it was going to be an adult's room, it would have a double bed in it, but you know it's a bit tight. You could just put a small double in there. Yeah. Just on a note with with that kind of stuff, if you're going to put bedding in, please iron it. <laughs> Do I detect a pet hate? Oh, dear. <laughs> it's really important. <laughs> Ironed bedding. So bin clashes and iron beddings, two things that <laughs> keep you awake at night. Design crimes. <laughs> Fantastic. And I think, going back to my earlier point, um, it has been fantastic, Joe. The, the The thing that perhaps above all of that is... Yeah, make sure that you get you engage with an interior designer at the start because it, it needn't cost the earth, but actually the, the the help that you can get is gonna is gonna steer you in a direction which could make a, a really big financial difference. I mean, if we're talking about you know, the stats from the US saying that you get an eight percent uplift, uplift, there's not too many other people on your professional team that can give that to you. So important to to, to get that advice at the start. Thank you so much. So, Richie, I guess uh, you probably learnt something there. I learnt lots, yeah. I learnt lots. Do you want my sort of top three? What would you say your top four, three? Four, maybe five takeaways out of this. Wow, okay. Um, first one I thought was really important, Joe. You said get the interior designer in first, early on. Get them in right at the beginning of the project. doesn't mean to say you've got to spend a load of money out, but you get them on board. You can agree a fee for the overall project. But that initial bit of advice... Um, quite interesting, a lot of people won't understand, you actually will shape the layout of a building potentially with an interior designer and the wall positions and those sort of things. So that's really important. So I think that's good. Get people in in first just for some initial advice on the interior design. Um, I like the way you said, uh, from your point of view, a lot of people have experience of interior designers, they see off the telly. But I think I liked what you said is actually no, you don't have an interior design style that you want to inflict on other people. You actually want to listen to what that end user is going to be. So as a developer, we might say, well, we're going to develop some basic one bedroom flats. So this is the demographic. You can understand that demographic and then you can design to that. So that's that's good. Um, I, I think a place to my my hands uh, in terms of uh, let's have a simple uh, color decoration throughout one sort of consistent color yes i do quite like white because it's simple to ceilings and the walls but whatever keep a consistent color throughout it's very cost effective for a developer but of course then for an interior point of view as you said you can add splashes of colors in if you're dressing the property out i thought that was 
that was really good because that works both ways. That's a win-win. Win for the interior design, win for the developer and the, and the cost. And of course, yeah, it has to be commercially based. 8% value uplift by, by pressing a property. And you said that's a proven fact. Yeah, there's been a recent survey done by the um, Home Staging Association, which is in the UK now. Um, and in their last report, that they they that was one of the things that came out of it that, that it, you can, you know if you pay, if you pay attention to this stuff, you can you can certainly get your property sold quicker, but also potentially with that eight percent. I think that's amazing. Eight percent. Well, also that. from a development perspective, time is money. So if you've got your your, your units that are languishing on on right move, not being sold. Yeah. And then if you can get that quick sale under your belt, then it, it saves you finance costs. So and I think if I can add in just just two other small points, and I think if you're out there listening, stop the car, pull over, grab a pen and paper. You need to write this down. Okay, number one, avoid bin clashes. And number two, <laughs> iron the bedding. Otherwise, <laughs> Joe's going to go ballistic. The bin clash thing, I mean, that was new to me. I, for years, I've been wrestling with with issues with bin clashes. I didn't realise it was a it whole was a world out there. There's yeah? a whole world of unironed bedding and bin clashing. Bin clashes. Fantastic. Joe, absolutely delightful to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Uh, Great to know that Venture and Flourish can help people if they want some advice on interior design, even if it's on a a small project, they just need some mentoring in terms of uh, the things that they should do and could do to enhance the value of the units that they're renting or selling. Uh, But fantastic. Thank you so much for coming today. What are your details? What is your website? Oh, it's ventureandflourish.co.uk. Joe Bolston, please give her a contact and uh, see what you can do. Okay, well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode. So um, hopefully you'll better find more time to join us next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on another part of the property world. In the meantime, feel free to check out our other episodes and you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. Until next time, it's goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. Bye.